Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to wake up with a nice cup of morning roast. Ah, uh, oh, baby, Bonte Hill out, Shasky in, FP in, and shout out YouTube and Twitch brought to you by First NorCal Credit Union. Upgrade your savings dividends. Open a First NorCal First Class Money Market today. Shout out to Comcast Business Text Line. Shout out to everybody right now. All-Star game last night. Baseball season. Pitchers and catchers have reported. Uh, man, there's a lot to talk about today. A lot to talk about. Did you see the pictures I just showed you of Patrick Bailey? It's a little alarming. Patrick got larger. Patrick Bailey, if, for those that don't know, catcher, San Francisco ah. Giants. Rookie last year, wearing the number 14. Um, had a pretty solid year, uh, by all accounts. The bat, I kept telling Sam, you know, like when you look at... I don't see the minor leagues. I don't, I don't watch the minor leagues. They're not on television. I go off what I see from a guy. And, and we're talking spring training at-bats. Like Casey Schmidt, I saw like nine spring training at-bats. And you're trying to formulate an opinion. You can't get a real opinion on who a ball player is off of nine at-bats, right? you got to watch this guy for a month or two, at minimum. Um, and even then, it might be a hot month. But like Pat Bailey, I was like, he's hitting way higher than all of his averages in the minors. Is this an aberration? What's going on? And he had a great year last year. He tapered off, but defensively you could see. I mean, he's a stud. But the picture you just sent me, I mean, FP, it looks like he ate someone. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm, I'm going to call it what it is. As someone who's got the Irish triple chin, who has been trying to get rid of it forever, I have the, the, the turkey jowl underneath my chin. Whew, my guy's not looking svelte. Well, it would be a bigger target for the pitchers to throw to, and pitchers will tell you they like a nice big target back there. But it, we'll see. Hey, I don't know. It's just one pitcher. i got to get down there. I'm going down there in a couple of weeks, hanging out for a minute. And, old Scottsdale? Uh, old Scottsdale? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the hotel. Some swanky new hotel that used to be where Don and Charlie's was. Okay. Right on that property. The old salt still there? Doing some radio or games. Or salt box? I gotta get, I, I'm super excited about the new coaching staff, so i got to get what? down there and say hi to everybody. Why is that? You're excited, because it seems like to me, Giants fans, and I'm actually very optimistic. Oh, I'm also a baseball weirdo, so I'm optimistic in general. But why are you excited for the Giants this year? Because we have Giants coaching Giants. We have, we have people that realize the importance and what it means to wear the uniform that have been there and done that in the uniform, in the history of the organization, and just what it means. So when you have Bob Melvin, who played mm-hmm. for the Giants, and, and Matt Williams, and Pat Burrell, guys that wore the uniform. Pat's won a World Series. He can talk about that. He's won a couple of World Series, one in Philadelphia and, and one with the Giants. So when you have guys with resume and credential that know what it means to wear that uniform, and they're baseball guys, and you have... Giants yeah. that are baseball guys that can I can pick their brain on a plane and talk about like when well what was it like in 2010 when you guys were on that that epic playoff run and you won a championship what did it feel like and now you can talk to guys about their experience when even though the last staff was really cool mm-hmm. and a lot of great guys Kai Correa was awesome the whole staff was really cool a bunch of wonderful human beings Th- that aspect didn't necessarily. It wasn't there for them. That resource wasn't there. Like, hey, Joe, what's it like at 95.7? You've been here for so many years. And what's it like broadcasting at this station? I'm new here. But if it was another guy filling in, I wouldn't have that opportunity to pick his brain. That's a good point. I I just always look at like, and and you make a good point about the Giants, and I know that they like to have their guys, and they want old Giants. Bochy wasn't a Giant. You know what I mean? Ron Wotus and, and Flannery and those guys weren't Giants, but they became Giants over a long period of time. Right. You know, they did. They became Giants. But I would say this. Bochy did have the San Diego connection from his playing days, so understood what that old Western division and coming up to San Francisco was all about. Like, I still have his I have his little backup card, his 1986 Donruss card, I believe. Um, so I, I get it. I, I get where you're coming from. To me, it's kind of like, 
I feel like the Giants are doing everything they can to try to make me care about the team when I've tried to tell them the only thing that I care about is I just want to see young players. That's, that's, that's all I want to see. I want to see what this youth movement is going to look like because you've been telling me about this team for six years. Six years I've been waiting to see a young player. Really, what is Matt Duffy the last impact young player that they've had? I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, Am I missing somebody? Can you... Can you, can you Effie, could you think of who the last like good young player to join this, the team was? Pat Bailey. Okay, last year, which yep. I, I would agree. And Casey Schmidt has potential if he can command the strike so a little bit better and not swing at everything. I like Casey Schmidt. I do too. I, I like, love his glove. I like him a lot. He, he's just kind of like a lab that if you throw a ball, he's going to run after the ball all day until he dies of exhaustion. That's true. He's just a, he's just a fun kid to be around. But, it, but getting back to, like, I want to see baseball, Joe. I want to see my I want to see my favorite player if I'm driving from Sacramento to see a game have four at bats oh, and that. five at bats. I want to see a starting pitcher be a starting pitcher. I want to see a closer be a closer. I don't want to see a closer start the game. I don't want to see a starting pitcher come in the third inning. I don't want to see my favorite player get pinch hit for in the fourth inning. But I guess, this is hard. To, it's hard. I, I I used to say that at the old station. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to wrap your arms and fall in love with math. No. Like nobody ever like I math class. Oh my god, I'm so in love with math class. Let's go to math. What are you doing tomorrow? Let's 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 go to the park and do math. Maybe those people are have way better looking bank accounts than I have right now, but like nobody ever fell in love with math. And I think if baseball gets too mathy and too analytically driven, uh-huh. that Giants Giants fans don't like that. No. Dude. Giants fans are passionate, hardcore, smart fans that, that that bring their lunch pails and their hard hats to the game and they want to see a guy hit a double and pump his fist. Yes. They want to see passion. There's a lot of um, guys that play consistent for the Giants. They don't show a lot of emotion. They're very stoic. If I'm a fan, I'm paying money, whether it's the Warriors, whether it's the Niners, whether it's the Giants, no matter what team I'm rooting for, I want to see a guy having fun playing the game. Fred Warner, Steph Curry. I, I want to see guys show emotions yeah. if they hit a double pump of fist and drop a F yeah on second base. I want to see a guy just playing hard and loving what he does and showing me the emotion that I have as a fan. And when you talk about the Giants players, they all have more talent on their pinky finger than I ever had. So let me preface it with that. And I wish I had half of the careers they've had. But... If you look around the diamond, whether it was Brandon Crawford, who we all love, whether it's J.D. Davis at third, whether it's Mike Yastrzemski, or you just, you just go around Lamont Wade Jr. No personality. There's not a lot of emotion None. there. They, they, they play a consistent brand. No high highs, yeah. no low lows, no roller coaster all-stars. It's just they play a, a certain uh, pulse of the game. And I think... It, it, when we talked about this on the phone last night. I think in any sport, you need a jerk on your team. You need a guy that's going to ruffle some feathers. You need a guy that's going to show some emotions. You need a guy that's not going to go out there and care if he makes friends with the other team. That, that's going to like kind of keep everybody in check and police the clubhouse with like, Joe, that was BS last night. You had a fly ball to center field. It, yesterday, you had a fly ball to center field. You didn't even get to first base. It's a day game at Oracle Park. There's wind, there's sun. He dropped it, and you didn't even get to first? Like, you need to be on second. Mm. And you need somebody in the clubhouse, and I don't even know if that exists in today's game, because everybody gets so offended, and they're going to go suck their thumb in the fetal position in the corner if you get on them. But there, every team needs a couple of guys like that. And when you have one of too many, if you have a bunch of jerks, yeah, a bunch of alpha. Terrible. San Diego. If you have a bunch of flatliners, terrible. Yeah. You need a nice mix of the two. So I'm hoping that that happens for this team this year. I don't know anything about Jorge Soler, but like, I, I love the way he goes about well, it. He, I mean, Swing hard in case you hit it. Yeah, he's hit, a monster. Hit it far. Yeah. Health is the problem with him. The back and a bunch of other things. I mean, he, he was a monster for Atlanta. He's been a monster for the Marlins when he's healthy. It's 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 a very simple equation. After uh, you brought up a couple things there that are like, I, I want to pick your brain on. Um, First and foremost, when I look at the teams that are that are killing it right now, think of the attitudes that they have, the way they play the game. Atlanta Braves, Ozzie Albies, and Ronald Acuna Jr. And that those aren't the only guys. They've got other guys. Matt Olson can get a little little chippy at times. Like he he likes to talk smack um, in his own little way. You know what I mean? But they have a particular way of playing the game. There's an exuberance that I appreciate. Houston Astros. I mean, when I watch Altuve and when I watch Bregman, there's an there's an arrogance to the way they play the game. And then you get Jordan Alvarez in there. Like you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the the way these guys conduct at bats, play in the field. There's just a vibe that they have and I don't see that with the Giants greatness and the attitude that greatness has is you're playing me I'm not playing you 
That's a great way. You have to step up to my level and play me. The Niners had that. Yes. The Warriors had that. Yes. Early in the season, they were searching for that. All of a sudden, the Warriors were playing whoever they're playing. Mm -hmm. It used to be you're playing us, bro, and step up to our level to beat us. They're getting back to that. Yeah. I don't know if they're a championship caliber team right now, but the way they're playing, I think they've won eight of their last ten. They're yeah. one game over five hundred. Yep. They're trending in the right direction. They have swagger back. They're playing with energy. They're actually playing defense again. They're playing with a different level of confidence. There's an edge. I like the fact that Pajemski's starting now. Yeah. Like Steve Kerr's starting to tease tinkered, tinkered, tinkered. Yeah. Now Clay's coming off the bench. He's embraced that role. We'll see how long he's in air quotes embraced that role. He had some really good quotes after the game. So any team in any sport. When you have that attitude that you're playing me and I'm not playing you and you have to step up to my level, that's where you get that confidence level. That's where you get that swagger. That's where you get that relaxation when you're not thinking, you're just playing. And right now the Warriors are doing that. The Niners did that all season long for the last couple of years. The Giants haven't had that in a while. I wasn't here in in, in 2021 when they won 107 games, but they haven't had that swagger. They're just kind of playing. Nobody believed in them even until the final month of the season. It was like, eh, we'll see. We'll see. And then eventually, oh, we're playing the Dodgers? We're all in. No one believed in that team. Myself included. You know what I mean? Um, you brought up like getting pinch hit for after a couple at-bats. Last year, Marco Luciano's debut, I think he had two at-bats and was pinch hit in his third. His debut. You drive. You reference driving from Sacramento. Someone drives from wherever, Livermore, Sacramento, San Jose, Monterey, to go watch Marco Luciano, who we've heard about for five years, and he's pinch hit in his third at-bat. Yeah, young players... Have to play. If you're going to bring somebody up, they got to play. 100%. Because you're trying to develop them at the highest level. And if you're going to platoon them, they've never platooned in their lives. They've played every day in the minor leagues. 100%. They don't know what it's like to come off the bench. They don't know what it's like to sit on the bench. And I think if you play a brand of baseball where you're pinch hitting and playing the numbers consistently, no matter what the public um, line is, you're telling me that that guy's better than me right now in that situation. Even if it's like, hey, this is what we do. We, 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 we do the platoon thing. We want you to buy in. We want you to drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> if you bring in a pitcher to get a guy out, you're telling me as a pitcher that you think that guy's better than me. Not because the, the numbers yeah. thing is what you tell he the media. Gets, with his slider, he gets this guy out in this particular... Well, they and, don't want to hear And it. what happens is you start to beat down the competitive nature of the highest competitors in all of sports. Yes. If you get to the big leagues, you're the one percenter. Whether it's football baseball or basketball, 100%. you're the 1% of the 1%. And if you're consistently telling me that this guy's got a better chance of succeeding than I do, that just beats me down to where I used to throw my helmet and get pissed. I used to go back and break uh, things in the in the tunnel because you pinch it for me. And now it's okay. And then once I lose that edge, then all of a sudden you get a lot of players that are just kind of going out there and playing. And you get a lot of players that are looking over their shoulder, Joe, like, when am I coming out of this game? Or am I playing? Oh, I'm in the starting lineup. But does the starting lineup it mean anything anymore? No. Because it's just the first three innings. And then you get that mentality as a team where now we're just kind of zombies and we're letting the manager treat us like a chess piece and not realize that there's actually people inside of the uniform. There's human beings that have emotions, just like we all do, in those uniforms. And once you lose that emotion, once you lose that competitive nature, you get a 500 team. So so then I guess, like, this has been my big thing from the get-go. They hire Bob Melvin, and it makes a lot of sense. Like, right? You, you go in a completely different direction from Gabe Kapler, right? But if the guy had to charge Farhan Zaidi, his... The reason why he was hired was to usher them into a new era of baseball. Now, the shift wasn't banned when he came in and obviously there's been clock rules and there's been changes regarding you have to have three batter minimums like there are there's been some changes that were not here before he showed up and so i always question like well how are his principles going to adjust and evolve now that you have bob melvin why should i believe that the platooning's going to go away. Why should I believe in this Giants team that they're actually going to allow these young players to play an extended period of time? Just because you switched out the manager, doesn't the GM still have his imprint on things? Isn't he still making two times what the what the manager's making? Like th- these are, I guess, the questions that a lot of Giants fans have. Like, why should I feel that anything is different this year just because you changed who was in the dugout making the decisions? If all the decisions come from up top. Does that make sense? There's a uh, there's an up top above the up top though. The in the, in the up top is ownership and if ownership doesn't like the gotcha. way things are going then maybe things will change. Do you think that that cuz I, I think I a would lot guess of Gi- yes. Yeah, cuz I think a lot of Giants fans like myself I'll just talk for myself. I'm not as angry as everyone else. 
I didn't think there was a huge move for them to make, although I would still love to swing a trade for Pete Alonso or someone like that. Like, I'm all in on that decision. But, like, I look at their team, and I know I'm taking baby steps. They're marginally better than they were last year. But I like that you have at least carved out spots. I want to see if Luciano can play. I want to see Patrick Bailey for a full season. Hopefully, he can slim down a little. I, I want to <laughs> see one pitcher, dude. I want to see Tyro Estrada play a full season at second base. You know, I, I want to see what Jung Hoo Lee looks like in center field. Like those are positives to me. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for some young guys. I want to see them now. You will. will it dissipate after a month? I don't know, but. I at least have some hope, I guess, is where I'm going. So I'm excited for Giants baseball. Even though I know that the Dodgers look like juggernauts, even though I know there's an extra wild card spot and the Giants are going to be in the mix all year with that seven wild card spots or seven playoff spots, I'm excited, FP. I'm always excited about baseball. I'm always excited about any new, any sport at the beginning of the season. So, yeah, I'm fired up, too. They got a legit power hitter for the first time since, wait, well, who's the last giant to hit 30 home runs a year? Oh, Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. And um, I also know that it's about getting hot in September. And the Do- the greatest thing ever is going to see the Dodgers bow out in the first round again, even with all their offseason acquisitions and Shohei. And Freddie Freeman, and oh, that's a good team, Mookie Betts, but whatever. I mean, you have three of the top seven players. But in the ima- imagine the pressure that's on them once they get to the postseason again. It's going to be an enormous amount. And if you're free and easy and you're the Giants, and you, who knows what a season holds, um, and who knows where this is going to go, but it's not all, you don't win a World Series in December no. and January. So uh, I, I, you will see a different brand of baseball. I will promise you this you will see a different brand of baseball this year. Bob Melvin is going to do what Bob Melvin wants to do, and there's nobody that's going to tell him different. And if you Watch the Padres. He's not a pinch hit for you in the fifth inning guy. He he will play the analytics. He will play the matchups late in the game when his team's ahead or behind and yeah. try to win a game. However, he manages. But like, there's not going to be what you've seen in the past. I would say that was ninety percent Gabe, and really that's just how he believed the game. Like I, I talked to Gabe. That he that's how he believes the game but should be. That's that's just his belief on how how you win. But like, see, like what I don't understand. Like Gabe played the game. How can he not understand what it's like to be Evan Longoria and get pinched for in the pinch hit for in the fourth inning? How can he not know what it's like to be a, a a struggling young Luis Matos who gets called back up, goes two for five, actually put on some good swings, and isn't in the lineup the next day? You know what I mean? Like, how does he not understand the psychology of being a ball player? That's the part that I, I never understood. If you treat people like chess pieces, they're going to act like chess pieces, and, and that's what you're going to so get. You're going to you get really a game think it was of chess. All Gabe? Well, I'm sure Gabe and Farham were, were, were married in the sense that, that, that that's how they believe the game okay. should be played based on the personnel that they have. Gotcha. I'm sure if you ask Gabe and Farham, they would tell you that if we had nine studs, we'd run nine studs out there every single day. And if we had five aces, we would run five aces out there every day. But they felt like based on the personnel they had, whether it was injuries or who they signed or didn't sign, that that's that gave them their best chance of winning. Yeah. Sometimes in any sport, what gives you your best chance of winning isn't conducive to the players' mental health and players <laughs> like feeling like they're yes. a part of it. Yes. And then once you lose the players, whether it's in, in basketball and now all of a sudden I'm the sixth man and I used to be an yeah. all-star and I'm going to be a Hall of Famer or whatever sport it is, once you lose and, and you and you dampen the players' will to compete for you. I asked Tony LaRusso about managing one day because I wanted to get into managing. Yeah. And he said, FP, if you do ever manage, the biggest mistake that young managers make is they want to show everybody how smart they are. He goes, the, 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 the thing you have to do first is get the players to want to play for you. Mm. And, and whether it's a football coach, an NBA coach, or a big league manager, you have to get the players to want to play for you. And then all the all your strategies and how you implement the game kind of fall into place. But those things fall into place based on, Joe, you want to play for me. And and there was there was times when I would be out there thinking, I can't let Dusty down, man. Dusty was cool enough to tell me I was playing today. Yeah. He was cool enough to tell me to get sleep tonight because you're playing today. I got to go out and ball out for Dusty. Felipe, I had so much respect for Felipe that when I stepped on the field for Felipe Alou, I wanted to compete like he did. Felipe was a fierce competitor, played with his hair on fire. He was your manager in, 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 in Montreal, Montreal. That's in the minor leagues, yeah. the big leagues for four years. Yeah. And he's the reason I'm sitting here talking to you right yeah. now. He w- he gave me my opportunity. But like, when you have a manager that motivates you just by 
when I'm out there in the heat of battle, I respect him so much that I want to give that extra effort on a Sunday day game after a Saturday night game, after we got into town on Thursday night at 3 in the morning, and I'm dragging ass. And obviously the professional pride, you don't want to get embarrassed, but if you have a manager that you want to play for, I never like questioned Dusty or Felipe. Dusty and Felipe made some of the weirdest moves I've ever seen in my life. Pinch hitting a lefty against a lefty, and it worked. And you're like, what is he doing? Or Dusty would throw Charlie Hayes up there against a righty. Charlie Hayes, number 200. Charlie would oh get a double God. in the gap with the game on the line. You're like, what are you doing right now? Sam has no idea who Charles Hayes You have no idea who Charlie Hayes is. Caught the uh, game-winning World Series out-of-bounds, or not out-of-bounds, foul territory ball and the, for the Yankees. But you never, you, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, and he did the, 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 the yeah. high step. Was a Rocky for a minute. Yeah. yeah. He, I mean, uh, Charlie Hayes, when I close my eyes, oh, my God, the so, memories. But the point is, like, when you buy into the manager himself or the coach himself, I guess at any level, even you're, you know, yeah. with, you working with kids right oh now. Oh my god. They're not gonna they're not gonna question all your moves because they respect you yeah. and you motivate them oh, and they want to play. You have for no you. idea about twelve year olds. And if it's a weird move, <laughs> you, you might scratch your head. But on the other side of that, if you don't respect the manager or you don't respect the coach and then they make weird moves, you're like, what is he doing? This guy has no clue. Because he has no clue on how to be a people person. He has no clue how to motivate you. He has it's it's not about him, it's about us. As a player, it's our time to shine. And if it's a manager that played in the big leagues and he wants all the attention, it's not his time, it's our time. Man. And so, like Joe Madden and guys like that, they wear out their welcome. Even oh. though I love Joe Madden, but he's a top step manager. He has to prove he's the smartest guy in the room with everything he says. And, and that, that Am I wrong? Well, that's that, my that's my diagnosis of him from afar. That 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 applies in everything in life, like in any job. You everybody has somebody that thinks they're the smartest guy in the room, and that's why I'm so self deprecating, maybe to a fault, because I never I I, I have like a, a phobia of people like that, and I never want to come across as that. So I'll be like, what do I know, and say things like that, but. But uh, you get the respect yes. of your team first. Yes. And if Bob Melvin gets that, Kyle Shanahan has that. He Steve Kerr does. has that. Yes. And if, if Bob Melvin gets that from his players, then if you make a weird move or two, ah, whatever. Yeah, but you've earned some equity. You've earned some equity. Good yeah. And no, but that, that's a great point. Like, like To your point on 12 or 13-year-olds, let me tell you. They will never listen to you no matter what you say, and they think you're an idiot no matter what. It, it's just <laughs> good luck with that one, you know? And we're going to talk to Kevin Dana. We're going to switch it up. We're going to go back into baseball uh, in a little bit, but we are going to talk to Kevin Dana. Now, you asked me, like, who's Kevin Dana? You were saying, you know, who's this Kevin Dana? I go, dude, Kevin Dana is an up-and-coming, because you do broadcasting, and you're, you're on the rise, uh, as you were saying. Kevin Dana is, like, in the minor leagues right now, doing and I, I it makes it sound like he's a minor league broad. He is not a minor league broadcaster because I I know that the way that that sounds. I think this guy deserves a job and will get a job. Listen to some of his calls. Give me one of them. Oh, he's finger pointing me. Sexton chest pass left wing. Clarkson throws it too far in front of Markinen. Taken away by Draymond. Three on two for Golden State. For Clay. For three. No good. Tip. Jam. GP2 for two. I mean, come that's on. That's sick, dude. Come on. I like anybody that's enthusiastic and loves what they do. Come that was a on. great call. Uh, you got more? Yeah, do you Here's have any Stephen more? Curry behind the back. Three seconds left. Right wing with it. In and out dribble. The pods to beat the buzzer. Right angle. Three. It's good. <laughs> 84-71. What a first half of shooty hoop for Golden State. They shoot 61% from the field and 58% from downtown. 15 first half threes. We'll take the break. Whew. Catch your breath, folks. Golden State 84. Utah 71. Dude, he needs a shot on the Giants side. Feel me? Now give me one more. One more. We're going to have Kevin Dan in a minute. We're going to talk a little NBA. We'll get back into some baseball for you baseball geeks like me and FP. Give me one more, Kevin Dana. Yeah, this is one of his uh, catchphrases right here that he drops in this call. In transition, it's Andrew Wiggins. Has it on the right wing. In and out dribble between the legs. Offer step. Wide open. Left wing. Three. Gucci. 66-53. Golden State by a Baker's dozen. He's so good. Dude, coming from the worst play-by-play -play man ever to do it in the history of any sport myself, he's really, <laughs> he's really, really Isn't good. Isn't he good? He's really good. He's really good. He's got, I, I like people with personality. All right. What's coming up on the game? Kevin Dana, the guy you just heard right now, and that's brought to you by the In at the Tides. They're back. 
the legendary all-you-can-eat Dungeness Crab Feeds at the Tides Wharf Restaurant for just $99 per person February 2nd and 23rd and March 8th and 15th. Make it a getaway and ask for the Crab Feed special and get that special room rate. Info at the inn at the tides.com. We're going to talk to Kevin Dana. We're going to talk about this all-star game. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's coming here to Chase Center. All that and more. F.P. Shasky rolling on President's Day on 95.7 The Game. Lester gets it back to Clay. He's got Kessler on him on the left wing. Dribbles into a three and rails it right in Kessler's grill. Uh-uh. 112.96. Get down with your bad self, Clay Thompson. Oh. This is Clay Thompson, and you are listening to the morning roast on 95.7 The Game. It better not be roasting me if I'm giving all oh, these intros. Hey, the sound that you heard coming back from break there, not just Clay Thompson, but Kevin Dana, who's going to join me and FP. Bonte's out today. It's the morning roast. It's President's Day. Happy President's Day for those who observe. Nowadays, everyone gets offended on everything, so I don't know. Happy President's Day. Uh, but we got Kevin Dana on the line, and before we go to him, you can get yourself 95.7 The Game gear. You just got to go to breakingtea.com slash 957. We've got all sorts of cool apparel, and you can wear whatever you want, whenever you want. Winter lose, as well as get some awesome gear that reps the shows. I was wearing one of our Morning Rose shirts, and my wife said, take that off. You look ridiculous wearing your own shirt of yourself. But you can go right now to breakingtea.com slash 957, and I gotta send Kevin Dana some stuff. Kevin! Uh, I know you're on the line right now. It's FB, it's Shasky, and we're just kind of like going over the All-Star game over the weekend. Before we get to what happened in this particular All-Star game thing, um... When I hear your call the other day, I'm driving down Geary after baseball practice, and I got kids in the car, and all of a sudden I hear, the GP2 for two dunk. I stopped at the light, pulled out the phone, texted you on the spot, and I said, dude, I freaking love you. Like, did you just come up with that organically, or have you been trying to hit that particular note? <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Shasky. And no, something like that, that is completely unscripted. I mean, like, I really try not to write anything down or say, I want to get these phrases in. Though I will say, like, there are times where I'm like, ah, yeah, I'd like to use this phrase if I could get it in great. But for the most part, it's just kind of whatever comes to me in the moment. Because, uh, yeah, if I'm trying to load up calls in my head, too many calls in my head, then I feel like it messes with me. What what advice would you give a young play-by-play guy? Uh, what is what is the most important thing that you would tell somebody that's just getting into it? Yeah, no, that's a good question, FP. I guess like for me, what I try to do is just prep my tail off, watch as many games as I can till like I know what each player looks like. It'd be different for baseball because they're wearing helmets and stuff, but basketball, you can tell like a body shape of a player if you just kind of. Watch, 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 watch. You do that. I have my charts. I go through my prep, uh, you know, to like write everything down as far as not like what I want to say, but like information on each player. I have these sheets of legal paper, eight and a half by 14, that's just filled with information on each player and each team, each coach or each head coach. And then, so I do all that prep so then when the game comes, just kind of roll the ball on the court, if you will, and just let it rip uh, and, and just go. So there, there's obviously there's nothing scripted once the game happens. And once the game happens, I just try to react and not think. That would be my biggest piece of advice. Just react to what you see and not try to like think of how you want to say it. Just, just let it happen naturally. And that just comes with years. Like I didn't feel comfortable, really comfortable in my skin broadcasting until I was 31 and I'd been doing it, you know, since I was 22 at that point. So, like, it just took years and years of reps. But you get there eventually. Dude, when I first started as an analyst on TV every day, 
I was worried about what the players were thinking, what the wives were thinking, what the fans were thinking, what the ownership was thinking. And the reason I'm bringing this up, right, nobody cares, is the reason I'm bringing this up, I wrote, I wrote let it rip on my scorecard. And huh. once I did that, let it rip, yeah. and I didn't give a crap what anybody thought, I felt like I became a better broadcaster, or it became easier for me. And you start to get in your own head and worry about what everybody's thinking, and then just let it go, bro. And, and it seems like you do that. So very refreshing to hear your, your your takes. I haven't listened to a whole game, but damn, dude, you got a bright future. Keep it up. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Hey, all right. So, Kevin, Kevin, let's get yeah. right into the All-Star game uh, over the it. weekend. I mean, you, you're a big NBA hosh, uh, like all of us, and you're watching this. This is supposed to be the showcase of the league. Now, I, I'm not expecting them to compete like it's the Super Bowl the week prior. Like, I, I'm not that naive. I also don't expect them to compete like it's a regular season game or any of that. Like, come on. I, I'm being realistic here. But just in general, skills competition, three-point, the dunk, I mean, maybe the three-point shootout with Steph and, and Sabrina saved the weekend. That might be a little strong, but I thought it was a great moment. I just feel like, in general, the league has got to be more self-aware of where they're at right now and cognizant of the perpetuating image, which is the players don't care, whether it's the regular season, the All-Star game, etc. So why should the fans care? And I felt like this weekend, man, I'm worried about next year with the, the Warriors hosting at Chase Center. Yeah, I mean, it certainly wasn't a fantastic product by any stretch of the imagination. Like, I did kind of start dozing off a little bit in the third quarter. Now I was laying down on my couch. But, like, I mean, on one hand, it is cool to see a team put up 211 points. But if it, that team is putting up 211 points because they're able to walk down the floor and just lay it in or dunk it every time when they're not attempting 97 threes, like... Yeah, it obviously loses its luster. It, I mean, I don't. If, if we're gonna go gimmicky and in, in stuff, I'm just trying to. I, I'm bringing this up because I literally just saw this online. The VTB United League, that's like Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, teams that play in that area of the world. They have one hoop set up 20 feet from the basket and another one like right above the regular hoop if you make it in the the six meter hoop the 20 foot hoop you get six points i mean if we want to do something like so that, rocky jack that, yeah 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 i mean i don't know might as well try something i it, it looked cool i just watched this highlight i don't know uh yeah something needs to change but like yeah if if guys aren't going to care enough to play an ounce of defense then maybe you just lean into them not caring and do something way out of the box. But yeah, you, you get a stuffed animal if you make it in the <laughs> top one, and, and a, car, a carny runs out on the court with small hands and gives you the stuffed animal. And then tries to get another $10 out of you and make you shoot it again. And, and, and next week the game will be at a different parking lot? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> no, but seriously, though, Kevin, what would you do? What would you do if you're the commissioner to get more interest in the All-Star game? Or is it just the All-Star yeah. game is a dinosaur in any sport and there's no way to fix any of them? Yeah, I mean, I'm, like, in general, it's tough for me to watch games that count that don't count towards anything. I think there's a lot of cool stuff around All-Star Weekend. Like, I mean, yes, the dunk contest needs to improve. I thought Stephen Sabrina was the best thing of Saturday night. I was not a f big fan of the skills competition. Ugh. But I, I do think it's cool to have, like, the rookies and sophomores. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch the game. But, like, I do like that concept of rookie-sophomore game, the rising stars playing. Maybe, I mean, I know Anthony Edwards said that, that there's not enough non-Americans to have an American versus the world all-star game I would watch that I think that would be cool and like maybe if there are a couple of guys who are fringe all-stars that make it for you know for the non-American team I would still watch that I think there's enough talent out of outside of the United States from Canada Europe and Africa uh, to, to make something like that happen that, I think, would be interesting. But outside of that, I don't really have many ideas. I, I'm more of a let's get to the regular season and play again kind of guy because that's the stuff I'm really interested in. All right, so let's let's pivot to the Warriors here. The Warriors right now are in 10th place. Um, I mean, they're in the box, 27-26. Uh, and 26. I thought if I was going to give them a letter grade, I would say a B-minus slash C-plus. 
I want to see what ends up happening, you know, from here on out when it comes to the rotations. Does Kaminga continue to ascend? And I think the Kaminga ascension is really what saved them this year. How would you assess their first half, and what would the letter grade be that you would uh, you would assign them? I mean, B minus C plus sounds about right because they did get off to the six and two start, which you'd have to give an A, maybe an A plus. Then there was like the next. 30 games of the season where it wasn't very good, which you'd probably have to give somewhere in the D to D-plus range. And then they've been a lot better as of late, which you know, probably give like an A-minus or something. But it can't be an A or A-plus when you, when you blow the lead against the Clippers. And then, yeah, I mean, that would be the big one to me out of this recent stretch where that would keep it from it being a straight A or, or better. So, yeah, I think probably B-minus is around there. I So... That, yeah, as far as my letter grade, that's what I would give them. Look, I'm looking at the standings right now. They're five games out of sixth. I don't know how doable that is. I think at the very least, you want to try to reach for eighth, but even that is three and a half games away. But I would want to get into the top eight so you get at least two cracks at getting into the playoffs. Now, Clay, with 727 starts, comes off the bench for the first time. He absolutely balls out. It seems like he's embracing this role. Do you think this is something Steve Kerr is going to stick with? He's just If this is the recipe for success, starting pods, Clay coming off the bench? Or do you think Clay is motivated now and he's going to find his way back into the starting lineup? Well, Steve did say after the game in Salt Lake City on Thursday that Clay's going to be coming off the bench. He didn't say it was permanent, but he made it sound like at least the next game, Pods is going to start and Clay's going to come off the bench. And I'm not saying Clay's going to score 35 off the bench every time. Obviously, he won't. That's just not sustainable. But, like, if he can give you, if he can be kind of like your reliable scorer off the bench, I think that'd be a really good role to have him in. He mentioned Manu Ginobili and kind of thinking about his career arc and how Manu is going to be a Hall of Famer and no one's like going to worry about whether he started or come off the bench. Like if he can finish more than he has been recently instead of you know being the starter, but if he could finish, like I think that's more important. And he certainly earned the chance to finish on Thursday night. And like I said, he's not going to hit seven threes every game. But if he could be a more reliable bench option for Golden State, I think that would be a really good thing for the Warriors to have a Hall of Famer coming off your bench who, while it hasn't, certainly has been a really down year for him compared to the rest of his career. Like if he's still getting 17 points per game and 37 to 38% three-point shooting, like those are pretty good numbers. It's just like compared to everything else he does, then yeah, it, it doesn't look as good coming from Clay, but I'll take that from a guy who's in my rotation any day of the week. All right, Kevin, on the way out the door, Joe Lakeup said this, and I want you to react a minute or less if you believe him or you do not. Listen to what he said. I do. I'm actually very positive, probably more positive than the fans might, some fans might be, or the media. And look, I get it. We haven't, we haven't really overall played all that well this year. I think Steve would tell you that, and our players would tell you that, and Mike would tell you that. But I still think maybe I'm delusional <laughs> a little bit, but I believe in this, this roster and these players and our coaching staff. And I really believe that uh, we can make a big run here. And we, it just turns out that, you know, right before the trade deadline, magically that's happening because of a couple things that happened. I mean, Draymond's suspension, as he said in the press conference, in his comments the other day, ironically may have long-term made us better uh, in an odd sort of way because JK got to get the leash taken off and play. And he's been fantastic. He's just been tremendous. He is a monster. Uh, if he continues to play like this, which I think he will and get better, at 21 years old, his future is is unlimited. You add that to Andrew Wiggins, you know, being unlocked with this new lineup, and, and we knew he wouldn't, I didn't think he would stay playing like that. Um, you know, and our two rookies have been tremendous. You know, I mean, I really got to give our credit to our, our all of our scouts and our Mike and Kirk and all those guys and Kenton. We, we nailed it in this draft. Do you think they can win a fifth title with this roster? I think they got a chance to compete for a fifth title, and I'll say this: say that because uh, because of this. Last year they went 44 and 38 and went to the second round of the playoffs. 
And really, they were a Lonnie Walker heater away from forcing a Game 7 against the Lakers, which he'd get at home, and then who knows what happens in that game. I know that's a very optimistic outlook of what happened last year against the Lakers. But I think this year's team is better than last year's team. The record might not show it now. That's why my goal has been at least 45 wins for this team mm. since the season kind of gone south, just to show that they're better than last year's team. I think they're deeper this year. Uh, there's obviously more trust in Jonathan Kaminga, who's taken that big leap. I do think Moses Moody is going to get back in the rotation. It's just that he's been coming off an injury, and Lester Quinones had been playing so well in those 15 to 18 minutes that it had kind of pushed Moody out for the time being. But he's going to find a way to get back in the rotation. You're going to get CP3 back. I think they have enough to compete. Now, I would like them to avoid the Clippers and the Nuggets in the first round. And, and so, <laughs> it, so it's, you know, I think it is matchup dependent. I do think like the Nuggets and Clippers would give the Golden State a very tough time. But if you can get one of these teams that haven't had playoff success in the first round, kind of like Sacramento last year, and I do think Minnesota and Oklahoma City are much more powerful than the third seed Kings from 2023. But get them in a playoff series with all the bets that Golden State has. I do think anything can happen in a series like that. And if you get some luck along the way, look, this team knows how to compete in the playoffs. They've proven it time and time again. Like, I'm not saying I would take the Warriors against the field, but I would be very hesitant to bet against Golden State if they can get into the dance and they continue to play the way they do. I think they have a chance. Now, I, I just think it kind of depends on where the rest of the teams lie. Kevin, I love you. Thank you for coming on, but I just want you to know, for broadcast, that works, sitting on the fence. In radio, sports talk, in the morning, <laughs> it's no way in hell can they win it all, or absolutely they can. All right, my friend? <laughs> well, absolutely they can win There we go. <laughs> I'll see you soon, Kev. Keep up the all great right. work. Thank you. Thank you very much. Kevin Dana does the G League for the Warriors, sometimes gets elevated up to the big chair for Tim Roy, does a great job. So he thinks, and Joe Lakeup thinks, that this roster can win a championship. Now, I don't want to go too knee-deep into this today because I do want to break down the Warriors at some point later this week. Do you? Because I do not. I do, I do, I do. I'm just going to say, I do not think the Warriors this year can win a championship. I'm going to say that on the front end. And call me wrong. If they do and they prove me wrong, I will do what Mark Willard wants to do. Walk around with egg on his face for a whole week. Do you, FP, believe that this Warrior roster right now can win a championship? No. But I, I, I think there's going to be some good things that come from this season. And there's a number of good things that have already happened during this season, whether it's the development of Kaminga, whether it's Brandon Pajemski, yep. like becoming uh, maybe an all-star next year. Like I had no idea who this kid was. Me like, he's a baseball player that started playing basketball late in life, and all of a sudden he's turned into my favorite warrior, besides the obvious. But, but if, Joe, what's the biggest storyline for you for the Warriors, and let me give you some choices yes. in the first half of the season. Is it Draymond getting suspended again? Is it Clay kind of becoming an older player all of a sudden? Is it Pajemski out of nowhere? Is it the development of Kaminga? Is it Steve Kerr's handling of the rotate? Mm -hmm. Like, what is your, if you had to rank, what is your number one story for the Warriors in the first, I guess, air quote, first yeah. half of the season? So you didn't put this on there, but I think it's like two of them tied together. Self-awareness. I think it's the most underrated attribute in life and yeah. in sports. The self-awareness of Curry to realize Kaminga's the fountain of youth. The self-awareness of Draymond to realize, like, yeah, if we can get this Kaminga guy rolling, he does some things on the floor that none of us can do. The self-awareness for Clay to realize, I need to go to the bench, and even though I'll still be able to get up my shots, it's just better for the overall good. And the self-awareness of Jonathan Kaminga to realize, like, if I do the small things, I know I can do some of the bigger things in terms of scoring and falling into place, and I think the self-awareness of Steve Kerr to run more stuff like high pick and rolls going downhill to accentuate what John Kaminga does. It's Kaminga, but it's the self-awareness of everyone to realize he's not coming for your things. He's coming to help you get more things. Does that make sense? It makes great sense. Yeah, so self-awareness is your number one. It, Clay... I've been fighting this uphill battle, and it's not. Clay is still a useful player. I, no one is saying he can't play. There's this like narrative now in sports: you're either great or horrific. It's like you know how many exit ramps there are in between those two destinations. 
Clay is a useful player in the right situations, and him having the self-awareness to know, yeah, I'm probably not a number one option anymore. Some of those shots that I used to take flippantly, you know, I, I can't take those same kind of shots. Some of those defensive assignments that I used to take, I might not be able to take those on anymore. Some of the minutes I was allocated, I might not be... I might be hitting the law of depreciating returns if I play more than 30 minutes a game, right? I think those things and him taking a small backseat will make him a more efficient player and allow Kaminga and some of these other guys like Pajemski to get rolling. Like, FP... Every team in every sport is looking for young, controllable players on team-friendly deals who can give the fountain of youth to some of their veterans making top dollar. Like, name a team in sports that's not trying to find a Brock Purdy contract, a Jonathan Kaminga contract, right? Like, aren't we all? Aren't we all looking for the next Corbin Carroll contract for an Arizona Diamondbacks team, right? Yeah. So, like, I think that the young players, Pajemski I would throw into that mix, and Jonathan Kaminga getting the runway and developing and proving and earning and continuing to play well, that's the biggest thing for me. I don't think it can be overstated how awesome it is that Clay's buying into this. Do you know how hard it is to be a Hall of Fame-type player and have the career and the resume that he has to say, okay, I'm going to the bench? And this isn't just, like, eyewash. This isn't just, like, when you look at the quotes, I just want to take it upon myself to prove to Coach that I was going to respond like a champ, and I am, that that I am. Uh, I learned some things about myself that I'm going to carry with myself throughout the whole season. Like, he's saying things that are authentic. We We were talking about that earlier. Yeah. Just to play for your teammates, play for the fun of the game, play for the dubs, not the name on the back of the jersey. That's when I'm at my best, when winning is the only thing that matters. And that resonates so so hugely with me because whenever I thought about getting my hits and getting my stats when I was up for arbitration, yeah. I was horrible. And when you just like buy into the concept of let's win and the numbers take care of themselves, let's all check our egos at the door, even though when you win four championships <laughs> and you're making 40 mil a year, yeah. there's got to be a lot of egos there. But we all there have ego. But, but for but a guy, right. I, I can't even relate because I was, yeah. I, to a guy with that stature, to embrace that, and it's not eyewash. And he's not saying things like, well, you know, Coach Kerr said this, and I'll just see how it goes. Like, it looks like he's really wrapping his head around the fact that maybe he's not the player that he used to be. And he can still contribute mightily. And when a Hall of Fame type player slides back to the rest of the pack, that he's still better than most players. Yes. When you're at this level, and this isn't great radio because I'm demonstrating with my hand, and you slide back to this level, but the rest of the league is at just a little bit below that level, you're still better. Clay Thompson's still better than 80% of the players out there. And so if he's going to contribute in a different way, but Joe, wrapping your head around that role and embracing that role tells me really all you need to know about the man and not the player. And I think a lot of times we get caught up in the fantasy uh, league stats and and we we, we see what he's scoring. (laughs) But but it's more about the person to me and the man that he is and he's showing that, hey, screw it. If I'm here and this is what makes a team better and I'm playing to win yeah. games, he just went out to play to win the other night. What did he do? He threw in 35. He just went to play to win. He started playing the game again for the passion, the love of the game. Not The ego's not in the way of I have to be a starter. The ego's not in the way of I have to score this many points for us to win. I'm just going to go out there and do whatever it takes to help my team win. I'm going to find a way to beat you on a nightly basis, and I want to be a part of a winner again. And if the, being a part of a winner means me taking a back seat to a kid who's balling out right now and doing everything right and it makes our team better this this is all great talk but to do that from his status and to the pride and the ego to come off the bench nobody likes to come off the bench no one i don't care what sport it i is. totally agree i never could wrap my head around it i hated every minute of it i wanted to be out there playing and to be a bench player sucked it did but at least you're there yes But then once you wrap your head around it and you say, okay, this is my role and I'm going to embrace it and I'll be the best damn bench player I can be. I'm a bench player at 95.7 right now. I'm going to try to be the best damn bench player I can be. Do I like it? No. Do I like working part-time? No. Do I want a full-time job somewhere? Do I want to be an everyday player? Yeah. But you wrap your head around Mm -hmm. that, you embrace it, and you say, okay, giddy up, baby. And that's what he did. And that makes me like him even more. And I was starting to worry about him with the quotes and the woe is me stuff. And and, and he seemed like he was really, like basketball started to become a job and it looks heavy and he never looked happy in a press conference. And he looked like this is too big for me right now. And hey, 
there there's nothing harder to watch greatness decline well can, can i and i don't mean to interrupt you but like the clay thing is fascinating to me i don't know clay I, I don't know him i don't know him at all um but he strikes me as we talk about all these athletes who don't care Clay strikes me as someone who really dramatically cares about his status in in the game and basketball means to him more than anything in my life means to me outside of my family you know what i'm saying yeah. and uh there's something that's refreshing about that but i also think that that um like his whole worth as a human being is am i playing good am i still one of the best players on the planet i'm not i don't want to like say that that's the only thing he cares about cuz i don't know he might have a girlfriend or a family or something that he cares about that we don't know about but it sure strikes me that like his status as a basketball player and him playing the game of basketball means everything to him and on one level i super appreciate it on the other level it's like that can be unhealthy when you're struggling right and i i'm just curious like in the mind of the athlete how difficult is it to balance that out when you're so maniacally obsessed about being great? You can never, ever, 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 ever associate your self-worth with your performance. And if you do that, you're in deep trouble. But don't you think Like, I'm was? a better person if I hit 300. No, I know, I'm but a horrible don't... person if I hit 200. Or, but that's that's where... Am I wrong? No, but that's where you get into that trap. And, and if you start evaluating your self-worth based on your performance, exactly. it's, it's, oh man, you're more than a athlete yes you're 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 a son you're a father you're um a, a good partner yeah and so that that's a difficult thing to address what i would say about clay is he doesn't look like he's having fun playing basketball and that but that's it's where, body language yeah and, and when when you do it for a living i feel like i'm a professional body language reader like really? i do because yeah if, if i can see you on the mound you're looking at me yeah. and you're fake tough i know if you're fake confident i know if you're if you're gripping and you're nervous and you i just there's a way we go about it when we're looking for any sort of edge against our opponent and in the edge i used to find with body language i can tell if a guy walked into the batter's box and he's feeling great about himself i can tell by watching clay on the court if he's feeling great about himself or if he's not he's got the droopy shoulders yes he's got the, yes the, the the deer in the headlights yeah. look or when he makes a three and he pumps a fist and he's fired up. and he's fired yep. up so that you just see body language and, and it tells you everything you need to know about an athlete we can see these words and these quotes that yeah, i just yeah. read these seem super authentic and sincere which i freaking love and yeah. I, I desire and i crave from my sports um stars that i look up to but like the body language is everything and he just looks like basketball's become a chore all of a sudden mm. and basketball's become a job all of a sudden i think what steve and maybe his his his, his teammates and his bros are trying to get out of him is like Jay, man, look what we get to do. I know. We, we, the, the in-game reporter and I sat next to each other on the plane for 10 years in D.C., and he would start to bitch about things that were going wrong, like the plane's late, the, the food sucks on the plane. And I would look at him and I was like, bro, we have one of 30 jobs in America. <laughs> right? And so our, our saying became one of 30. And, and, and whenever we started to like slip down this, this negative town, yeah. we'd be like, how lucky are we? Yeah. Like, how lucky are you and I right now that we get to sit here with a microphone FPS and people are actually listening to our dumb asses talk about sports on the radio? The luckiest man on the planet. We're so lucky. It, but it's all perspective. Lou Gehrig's got nothing. But like, you, 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 I'm talking too much. I'm going to let you talk. No, no, I love it. Like, when, when you've achieved everything Clay has achieved, exactly. four rings. All the money he has. He has generational wealth. Status. He's going to be a Hall of Fame player. Absolutely. Where do these guys go to get that motivation, to get fired up, and to be hungry to win number five? Like, I don't know. I, don't, I can't even comprehend. Where do they go? Where do they dig down to find this? Because you get jaded. You get lost. You got the money. You got the agents. You got the cars. You got everything. And now, all of a sudden, I'm not playing as well as I used to. And da da da. And you have to somehow step back, look at things from a different perspective of a different lens, and just see the joy that you used to just have yeah. for simply going out and winning. Dude, there is nothing that I'll ever do in my life that'll replicate winning. Nothing. Everyone always throws the family thing in there. Screw that. There's nothing that's better than winning. I love winning. It's the most addictive drug on the planet. It's the greatest thing you can ever experience ever. So, like, do I get in arguments with like, you on the air and yeah, that's yeah. my competition? Or do I find a different way or outlet i still haven't 
haven't found anything it's, that replicates yeah. winning and going into a locker room and feeling champagne going down the crack of your ass. There's nothing better than that feeling. There's nothing to ever replicate it. But we get so lost along the way, and it seems like, and I could be wrong, that all of a sudden something's clicked for Clay, and he's going, I'm just going to play to win. I'm going to play for the love of the game, because how much longer do I have? And look at all that I've accomplished. Exactly. Well, and I look at people like Carmelo Anthony as cautionary tales. You know, when Carmelo didn't buy in, it shortened his NBA career. It just did, you know, and if you want to continue doing what you're doing, um, there's a level of of compromise that you need to come to the middle of. You you brought up a bunch of things. Number one, body language. Sam and I had this long conversation with Bonte. Bonte lost his mind on me, but I was like, hey, look, I, I'm a big body language guy. When I'm teaching kids, like for example, pitching on the mound, do not show up your teammates and the umpire. You're not going to get another good pitch. You know, borderline, if you show up the umpire, like, oh. <gasps> You think he's going to give it to you? No. You know, like there's a whole way of conducting yourself, right? And I'm not saying everybody's got to be Matt Cain at 12 years old, but like there's little <laughs> there's little things, right? And I saw Kyle Shanahan at a podium two days after the Super Bowl, and it was John Lynch in a white collared shirt, and he looked very presidential, and he was fielding answers. He was devastated that they lost, and he's fielding all these questions and everything. And then I looked, and it was Kyle Shanahan, and the hat was really low, and he was sunken down, and it felt like to me he was trying to hide at the podium, metaphorically, you know what I'm saying? And and I read a lot into that, and Bonte thought I was absurd. And I was like, look, man, like, when you're at the top position, there's a way that you have to conduct yourself presidentially, even in times of crisis. And that body language was, like, really alarming to me. And I'm not saying you can't be devastated, but you get what I'm saying. You know, like, there's just a way to conduct yourself. And I don't think everyone has to agree, but I'm, I'm with you on the body language. The other part I want to get into with you is... To be a 99 overall, if this were a video game, I don't know if you play video games. No. But let's say your player is... Asteroids. A 95 overall. That's your rating, right? Donkey Kong, the old ones. To go from a 95 like Clay was down to like an 85 is harder, I think, for him than it would be, hey, I'm an 82 overall and I dropped down to like a 76. You know, I'm a I'm a fifth man on a team and now I've got to be a sixth, seventh, eighth man. I think that's an easier acceptance than being, I am one of the best players in the league and I'm going to go down as one of the top five, six players in franchise history to now I'm a role player. That's a harder drop for someone like him than it would be for maybe a, a, a fringe starter. Yeah. Am I wrong in that assessment? No, I mean, when you start at a six like I did, and then you go to a negative 12 <laughs> and they tell you you can't play anymore I could, I could totally relate to that but you get where I'm going dude it's a it's an ego thing it's a pride thing and it, it gets in it gets in my way it gets in a lot of people's way at times where you just have you have to check that man yeah and and know that you're lucky you're lucky to be making the money you're making you're lucky to have had the experiences you've had in life people are telling me that in my life right now my my close like knit yeah. group is like look at what you've accomplished like you're all bummed because you're not working but look at the life you've had and I think it's hard for us all to step back and be like how fortunate we are but it seems like not to get too deep yeah but it seems like he's seeing that right now I agree and if he can wrap his arms around this and be another weapon that gives them so much depth and if they keep playing like they're playing this is a long answer to your question I don't know that they can win another championship or not i don't think so but i think they can surprise us all yeah in, in what happens for the last 30 something games i agree and, and there's something interesting like when i watch steph curry not everyone has this and not everyone's blessed with these things he, a i think he has the demeanor to accept the highs and the lows and all that stuff he has this balance in his life he's clearly my, maniacally obsessed with basketball but he has this whole family aspect and all these other outside interests that i think recalibrates him for his sport and i look at someone like barry bonds in his post-retirement career and he's been struggling you know like he's talked about it like i, I miss the game like tremendously and he never could strike that right balance and i I, I, I'm getting real deep here, but I, I worry about Clay, you know, like post-basketball life. Like, what's He'll be he gonna... fine. He'll be fine, bro. What? He'll be fine. <laughs> Financially, yeah. But, like, you know, like, well, we all have, like, my dad. My dad lived to work, you know, and then he retired. And it was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Like, and I was worried. You know, like, he, he's golfing like crazy, and he was doing all this. and that, But he needed to find that right balance, you know? And I think it's different for every single person. Dude, you, it's very you, relatable. You have really good points right now because it, the guys that have trouble retiring from whatever line of work yeah loved that work the most exactly my ken caminiti 
was my idol when I played when yeah. when I played badass third base. From he loved the game more than anybody I've ever been around. He had so much trouble in retirement. He got into drugs and he died. Like I mean, not the buzzkill, yeah. but like, the guys that that love whatever they do the most have the most trouble transitioning because there's nothing when you have value to the guy next to you and you have value to the person you work with on your right and your left and you have that camaraderie yeah. and you go out and have beers and you love what you do and then all of a sudden that value is taken away and you're like you've worked your whole life exactly to be a really good radio host yeah, yeah. and all of a sudden you're done with that and you miss that there's nothing to replicate that so th the people like clay that that love basketball more than most and it's not just a job, it's their life. It's Those are the guys that have trouble transitioning. Absolutely. Whatever it is. And that's why guys try to stay around broadcasting yep. to, to get that adrenaline 100%. rush and stay in the game. All right, you're listening to 95.7 The Game, KGMZ FM and HD1 San Francisco. Don't forget, you can watch us, and I see you guys all there on YouTube and Twitch. You can search, log on, find us, 95.7 The Game, hit subscribe, like the channel uh, while you're there. And it's brought to you by First NorCal Credit Union. Upgrade your savings dividend. Open a First NorCal First Class Money Market today and I want to shout out the Comcast business text line. FP is just man, he is just totally preaching to my ears right now, to the choir as we as we say. You know, FP, it, it's it's funny, like I tell people they're talking about broadcasting and I don't know jack about broadcasting. Yes you do. Well I, I know about sports and I always tell them I'm like dude and as I tell all young broadcasters, young, old, whatever, whatever gender, I say, hey, you're just talking sports. Be yourself and just talk sports. At the at the core of it, I feel like a lot of people in the media get jaded because I don't think that they truly love sports at their core. And me, I just know for myself, whether I was on 95% of the game or not, I'm going to be tapped into a meaningless spring training game, texting my brother, talking with my <laughs> grandfather about this guy and that guy and, and how awful the uniforms look in spring training, whatever it is, because we're maniacally obsessed with it. And I think that's part of what makes me, hopefully, somewhat good at this. And you have to have that love. You know, being talented only takes you so far. You have that passion about whatever you're doing. Absolutely. And, and you're lucky if you do. And you have to be all in. Absolutely. And fully invested. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you and I are wired. This. We're very similar. We're it's kind of it's kind of crazy. I I at the Super Bowl, you're gonna you're you might laugh at this. I was just a kid who grew up near Candlestick, and my grandfather had season tickets for the Niners going back to Kizar. Okay, and my my dad used to take us to games. My dad got season tickets in the '70s when they were terrible, and. My whole life we had season tickets, and they were way cheaper then than they are now. It's There's a whole dichotomy on it, but that's who I started going to games with on Sundays. The Shasky family tradition was, we're going to the game, right? And we were very, 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 very blessed. And my dad's got recently very, very sick, and he's been in the hospital, and it's been really hard. It came out of left field for me, and I got a chance to go to the Super Bowl. This young dude... You know, going to all these games with my dad, never thought I would ever be able to go to the Super Bowl. We could never afford any of that stuff back in the day. And we went to the Super Bowl this year, and you were talking about crying, FP. And I sat down, and Loveman and Bonte, they're losing their minds. And I just sat there, and the, just the emotions came rushing over me. I was like, I'm freaking at the Super Bowl. And I just started crying. And Whitley, who does our digital, was to the right of me. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, it just all hit me. My dad, my grandpa, my son, thinking about how far I've come in the industry, everything. And I'm like, why am I crying right now? This is so stupid. But it like it meant so much to me to be there. And I was thinking about how far I've come. And just in life, like forget the radio and all that bull crap. And it was just like, <laughs> damn, this is so like, this is so special. And I'm looking around at all these media people. They're like, huh. Look at these sandwiches they're giving us. Right? Like, you're at the Super Bowl. Like, do you appreciate where you're at right now? So, I, yes, FP, I'm wired a little different. Was that in, was that in overtime when you started crying? <laughs> after the game. Was it after the game? No, after the game. This is before the game. No, it was like two was, hours before the game. I know, it hits you. Yeah. I'm just being a smart ass. I know. I was crying after overtime. <laughs> after the game. I wasn't, but it It's was, Bonte and me, and we're like, still we're crying. pacing, okay, in the media, like the auxiliary. So we're like out where the fans are, but it's our grown area. We're pacing. And I'm like, I literally hurt my foot because of my anxiety of my foot going like this. Like I screwed up my toe. <laughs> after the game's over, Bonte goes, I'm like, I can't. I, I was devastated, and I wanted to cry. And I look over at B and B's like, "We're leaving right now." And I'm like, "Thank God!" And I grabbed all of our stuff, and we hightailed it out of there. 
Neither of us said a word to each other. And we walked out. It was the saddest since, I would say, the 2011 NFC Championship game. The saddest walkout. Even more sad than Game 5 against Bellinger and the Dodgers. The saddest walkout of a sports stadium I've ever had. It was so sad. It's the worst loss you've ever experienced as a fan. I, I would say that probably most Niner fans would tell you that. It was, it was horrible. That was horrible. They could have won that game 25 different ways. It was horrible. What, what was it for you? As a fan, I'm trying to think. Probably that, you know, as as a broadcaster, I was part of a game where my team was up by seven runs and lost a playoff game in a game five of a DS. What game was that? That was uh, 2012 Nats versus Cardinals. Everyone's texting me, "You're coming home. You're playing the Giants." I'm like, "Don't jinx it." It was like the third inning, and they ended up losing like eight to seven in game five. Were you there? When- I've been, dude. I trust me. I was in the Derek Jeter flip game. I, I played in that game. I played in that game. Do you game. think if he slides, he's safe? Yes. <laughs> God rest his soul. I don't want to disparage Jeremy. Oh. I, I think if Art Howe pinch ran uh, Burns or I, I would have a ring on my finger. Right Burnsy. So, I, I, yeah, that, that, that was probably the toughest oh. that I experienced as an athlete. Although, what? I've experienced some really tough ones, man. Like, and, But as a fan, this one, dude, I, from a selfish standpoint, I'm living in the city of the team that's playing in the Super Bowl. I wanted to go party like a rock star in the streets all night. My son and I were ready, man. We had the plan. He, was, he lives in Walnut How Creek. Devastated he was, was he? staying at the house. He, he stormed out of where we were watching, oh. pissed off. I didn't know where he went. He was with his wife, and he's like, he just texted me. He just wants to go home. But like, yeah, this, like, this is one where you might need a little sports counseling uh, to get through, dude. I know you guys have been talking about it a lot. Oh. I'm just coming in new here today. But like, this is, this is like as... They don't get much worse than this. They don't. Because you're thinking the whole time with the lead that here we go, finally, here it comes, and then something happens. Like I said, if if you weren't with us in the 6 o'clock hour, you asked me if I'm over it, and I'm not. Because every time I feel like I'm over it, a video pops up on social media, and it shows Fred Warner running on the field, and he turns Uh around. And he turns around and sees Gray, Dre Greenlaw in a heap, and he goes, no, no, and he throws his helmet down. And he, I didn't see this in the course of the game. He's on the bench, like, almost in tears. Bosa comes over and says, bro, I'm so sorry. And he's like, bro. It's it just, and it, how, you're playing, just imagine you're playing the biggest game of your life. On the biggest stage in sports, it's the biggest stage. You have, I don't care NBA Finals, hands World down. Series, hands down, it's one game on the biggest stage, and you're having to deal with your bro going down, and now you got to go out and compete, and you got to, you just got to compartmentalize, and these are things that we didn't think about. We're just worried about the punt hitting dude in the foot. We're worried about a missed extra oh, point. We're worried about third and four and not picking up the best defensive player on the Chiefs. Everyone's on Twitter saying, "Why don't they run the ball?" I don't know if you noticed, they put another man in the box. and <laughs> they they're run, run it anywhere. They're run blitzing the whole second half. And if you ran McCaffrey, you run into a brick wall. So they had to rely on the pass and Brock Purdy more. While everybody, even Tony Romo, is saying they should run it more. And I'm like, are you watching the defense? Like, it, 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 it was to stop McCaffrey and to make Brock Purdy beat you. So there's so many things that happen in the course of that game that if they didn't. Did you see? I just saw this. So trying to get over it. On the game-winning play with Mahomes, somebody on Twitter showed the legal lineman downfield in the end zone. I, I did. And they were, do you know that, right? Oh yeah. And, and I didn't I've seen see the that. So now they're just like, I need to get off social media because every time I think so. I'm over it, like here comes my ex texting me again saying I miss you, and that's the social media thing that's going on. Like I can't get over this, dude. Like I need help. I- I've got some things. One will excite you. One will not. Regarding the 49ers, that's what's coming up on the game. Go nowhere. One thing that will excite you. One thing that will sadden you, and these are just speculations, and it's on the game, and it's brought to you by the Farmer's Dog. FP and Shasky, we're rolling on a Monday. Feeling champagne going down the crack of your ass.